As we uh, continue on in our study of Ecclesiastes, good old Ecclesiastes, right? Anyone remember who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. Solomon. Oh, wow. All right. So we're getting there. We're getting there. At what point in his life did he write it? The end, right? Yes. Song of Solomon, most likely when he was younger, Proverbs somewhere in the middle, and then Ecclesiastes near the end. Anyone know what genre it is? What, where is it placed in our scriptures as far as literature? Wisdom. Yeah, wisdom is part of that. Yet it has. It has poetry in it. It has Proverbs in it. It has all different types within it. Um, it very much reads that way. Um, what's Solomon known for? Wisdom. Yeah. I was waiting for someone to say as many wise because that's part of it as well. So, yeah. Hey, Tony. So there's... <laughs> so, so there's a lot going on with Solomon, right? He was wise in many ways, but not so much in his relationships. And um, the phrase that comes up often in Ecclesiastes, meaningless or chasing after the sun. What is that? How, when we hear that, how should we translate that? Humanistically speaking, without God, right? If we look at things without God, it can very well be meaningless, right? It's nothing. It just seems like it's endless. It's over and over. It's a task. Whether it's our work, whether it's uh, the words, our academics, it, every, every area of our life, it can be seen meaningless, right? We just do it over and over again. It has no bearing. We have no impact, right? Missions moment was really good this morning, how PJ tied that in, right? Even little point way, and again, I'm not making fun of us that we're small, but point way in relative to Christendom and all the different churches and even in our denomination, we're not that big, yet we have impact around the globe, right? There are people in Nepal that are being affected by our actions here. And so even within that, we can do things with God's help, and his furthering to impact the world. And so it helps us to keep that perspective. As I said, Solomon's been going through this time where he's reflecting, he's going and he's looking at the world, he's watching what's happening, he's watching the injustice. We, we read about that a couple weeks ago, right? The, the court systems are not being just, people are being unfairly accused. Talked about that a little bit. He looked at finances, how even though you have more and more and more, you're not getting ahead. We'll see a little bit more of that today. Again, this is all reflective. Um, you work, right? You work a job. You get a paycheck, right? And yet you have to go to work again. And again, if you're not working for the right purpose or for the right person, I would say even, right? when we look at other scripture, when we're doing it for the Lord, it's meaningless. It has meaning. But without Christ and we're doing it, it seems meaningless. We can gain things and, and acquire things, but they... Rust, they fade, they go, they break, they perish. It seems meaningless, humanistically speaking. And so as we continue on that, Solomon's going to change a little bit here, and he's going to look at another area, but he's going to talk about making commitments or making vows, which is today's message is on vows, right? Be careful of what you vow or what you take and you commit to, right? It's another way of saying it. Vows, we, we think quite often of our marriage vows, and those are very important. And you that have ever gone through one of my premarital classes know we spend a lot of time about that commitment and what it takes to make that vow, right? 
and to keep it, right? Because you make that before God. It's not just a casual between two friends. It's a commitment before God and before others. And so taking vows is very serious, and especially in the Old Testament, we see where, where vows matter. They matter in the New Testament as well, but they matter especially in the Old. And so Solomon's going to talk about that a little bit here in the beginning. So I've set you up with chapter 5. If you haven't been studying it, I'd ask that you continue to keep looking through it and keep working. Guard your steps as you go through each and every chapter. But chapter 5 starts out, it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Pretty harsh words if you think about it, right? They're commanded. They're, they're, they're following the law. They need to go to the, and do their sacrifices at the temple, right? That's part of the ritual. That's part of what they're commanded to do. God wants them to do that. And the purpose of sacrificing is to sacrifice for sins. So it's very serious. It's something they're called to do, yet Solomon's looking at this and says, hey, watch out how you do it. Again, we've talked about this many times in the the New Testament, and Jesus' teachings certainly teach that. It's not only enough just to do something, but to do it with the right motivation, with the right heart, for the right purpose. It adds a little bit more to it, right? Jesus taught about, you know, hey, following the letter of the law is one thing, but the heart of the law goes even further. I always think of that one, like, if you get angry at someone, it's as though you've killed them. I'm like, wow, ouch. To be careful about that, right? That anger can creep up. And again, there's very seldom that we have really righteous anger. It's more selfish anger, I like to call it. So Solomon is saying here, go to God to listen. Again, taking this as a, a practical application, we, we tend not to listen for God, right? We, even in prayer. Prayer people are out. Oh, no, they're in here. Uh-oh. It is important to pray, all right? Not saying that it's not important to pray. But there's two sides to that prayer, right? It's not only our requests and our petitions and when we talk to God, that's very, very important. But the other side of it is to listen, to listen for the answer. And I may be stepping out on a limb here, but a lot of times we talk to God, but we don't listen to God. Am I the only one? All right, that's fine. All right, I'll repent and we'll just go forward. And, no. But isn't it true, right? We tend to tell God what we want, tend to tell God our needs, tell him the things that we want to see him do, but we don't take a step or take time in to listen. I'll never forget, a, many years ago now, a men's group that I was involved with, they challenged us for 40 days to take the amount of time that we prayed talking to God, to do the equal time of being quiet and just listen. For me, that's really, really hard just to be quiet in and of itself, but to listen, right? And so if I pray for five minutes, to take five minutes and just sit in silence and think of nothing and just listen and wait for God to speak, it's a real difficult exercise. It's, it's challenging to do that. Now, some of you may say, no problem, I don't speak much, I'm quiet, but to listen is active, right? It's an action, because you're listening to hear what God has to say. 
And so I think that's part of what Solomon is saying here, even in this. And again, it applies to us today. But don't just do, but listen. Verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Oh, ouch. I even have written here James 1.19. Right? 20s and 30s, you studied James recently, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Brings about the righteousness of man. I creep into 20 a little bit. Those verses I had to memorize because I needed that. My accountability partner said that long ago. Child, you need to be quicker to listen, right? Not to respond. So again, the writer in James, James most likely may have even been thinking of this, but Solomon says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart. Do not utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. See how I said it? Sometimes he gets very almost proverb-like, right? There's a lot. If you ever want to do another study, again, I'm always throwing out studies, and you don't have to do all of them, but if you're looking for one, look up in Proverbs how many times it talks about the fool and speaking, Right? And how foolish many words can be. I know they're not talking about pastors here. We got some in the audience with us, right? No, no, of course they are, right? But sometimes when we're talking, we're not always thinking, and we're certainly not always listening, right? One of the, the communication things is, is listening actively so that we respond, but sometimes we just need to listen, right? Just to hear the person, the person's processing. There's people out there that are external processors. They're, they're not really putting all their sentences together in nice forms, or they're just speaking because they, they need to get it out. They need to, to kind of marinate on a little bit or meditate on a little bit, right, to get it out there. And sometimes if you answer them or to respond before they finish or you jump off a word, you can get yourself in trouble. Marriage tip, there you go. It's a free one. Sometimes your wife just wants you to listen. Not to respond, not to fix, not to be somebody else, but just to listen. That's a freebie. It's out there. Um, I'm still learning it, when to do that and when not to do that, right? But listening and listening to God. Now he gets into the vow part, right? The, a little bit more of the commitment. It says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools fulfill your vow, right? So if you make a commitment, you make a commitment to God, you need to fulfill it, and not in a, when I get around to it, but as our theme, now. That would be a good time, right? That, that commitment is important. Hence, we need to be careful about when we make vows to God, right? We need to not only take them very seriously, but we have to, to weigh them. You know, the other teaching, that let your yes be yes and your no be no. We, we make commitments to things, right? Many of us have committed to do the 40 days of prayer. Now, again, I'm not going on the other side of being legalistic. Well, you have to, you know, you have to be, do it. Otherwise, you're not a good believer or not a good Christian. That's not what I'm saying at all, and that's not true either. But again, if I've made that commitment, I need to make every effort to uphold that, right? We used to call that word integrity, right? Integrity. 
It's important. That's part of our integrity. Our, our word matters. We make a commitment. We need to fulfill it. And so that's what Solomon's saying here, and especially when we make those commitments to God. I also think here of the commitments that we make um, even in the body of Christ, right? Talked about wedding vows, but commitments to follow God, commitments to read our word, commitments to, uh, to be at meetings, uh, to be a part of something, a commitment to sign up for volunteering. Those things are commitments that we need to keep. Verse 5 kind of continues that same thought. It says, it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming, and therefore words are meaningless. Therefore fear God. Again, if we can't rely on somebody or we can't take them at their word, then it's meaningless. And this applies to both believers and non-believers, right? The, the world sees that and they call it democracy or they, they don't believe them. I could throw out a profession, maybe politicians. Do we believe in politicians, right? We tend to look at it negatively, right? Because we've seen over and over again where they promise things and they've not kept their word. But we have to be careful when we do that, that we not examine our own selves and say, there have been times when I've made a commitment and not kept it. Or I've said something and not done what I said I was going to do. I can try to blame it on age, but that doesn't usually work. It's usually not the case as much, right? The Solomon here is saying, our words matter, Right? Our words matter to God. Our commitments matter to God. Here, in the, and he closes this section out with, therefore, fear God. Bryce, you can correct me if I go out of turn here, but we talked about this actually in our men's group. I think I, this is safe to say. This is not about someone's wife or our own wives or anything like that or something that might get us into trouble, right? But we talked about fearing God, Right? And, we, and today we tend to soften that up and we say, well, we have a reverence for God. And I think even that, we've lost a little bit of that. But we actually kind of, as men, we were talking about, it's actually not a bad thing to have a healthy fear of our Heavenly Father, right? Fear that consequence. Fear that discipline a little bit, right? Fear is not always a bad thing. Fear can keep us from doing certain things. And having that healthy fear of is not necessarily wrong. And so when Solomon says here, therefore, fear God, right? Therefore, it means everything that he's brought up to this point, he's kind of closing it out. Therefore, make sure that you make God a priority. And again, that's the part that is, has meaning. Our Father in heaven. All right, he shifts topics here. Comfortable to... to Riches or finances or money, one of those other subjects that sometimes can get uncomfortable to talk about, but yet the Bible addresses it. It says, if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others still higher. 
The increase in the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. As I was reading this, I couldn't help myself, but if any of you remember the, the pyramid schemes, right? The selling schemes, right? The, how can you not see that in this passage, right? It's kind of what he's talking about, right? Yeah, there's, there's people selling, but then someone else makes a profit off of that, and then the more people they get to sell, there's more profit. And eventually the king gets profit from everyone, right? The pyramid scheme is nothing new. It's been around for a long time. And again, if you do that without the, the meaning of God, it's a great sales tactic, but it comes at a cost, right? And usually what happens is the people on the bottom of that scheme don't get very rich, only the people at the top very select. And that's when it becomes usually twisted and evil. So we see that here, but it's also talking about even the oppression, right, that's going on. Again, if you're gaining from someone else's misfortune or if you're stepping on them to get ahead, you can read into the same way, right? It's wrong. It's not what God wants. And it doesn't satisfy, is Solomon's point here. Right? It does not produce what you think it does. It's unsatisfying because it's meaningless. Drills down a little bit deeper here in verse 10. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. That money, I'm sure we all know someone, right? Someone that, that, that's driven by that paycheck or that, that money and, and they're very motivated. They may work hard. They may work several jobs. And then they justify it somehow. But they're not satisfied. And it's once they get that promotion, then they're looking for the next promotion. They're looking for the next raise. Now, again, it's not wrong to do well in your job and to try to, to, to work ahead, but don't lose sight of who you're working for. And money in and of itself is not evil, right? It says it here. It says it also in other scriptures, right? It's the love of money. It's the value that we put on it with our hearts. It's the value we put on it with our hearts, right? If it becomes an idol, becomes something that we worship, we're off the rails. We're into sin. And so Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about the same. They're not, it's not satisfying. You get that raise and it doesn't mean anything. You're just looking for the next one or... I would say today inflation eats it up or something breaks down. I mean, there's many ways that God corrects us as his children in that. But in the end, it does not satisfy. Probably didn't think you were going to get a financial message this morning, but that's in here. And so I'm not going to jump away from it because it talks about it here even in Solomon's time. Arguably the, the wealthiest king there ever was. Yet he saw it as meaningless because it didn't satisfy Verse 11, it says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Right? As goods increase, so do those who consume them. Right? Again, it's never satisfying. Can never outdo or outgive. There's no, not value in that. It says, the sheep of the laborer is sweet, but... Whether they eat little or they eat much, 
But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Right? Again, it's that even though I may gain a certain position or I may work to a certain spot, it's not going to satisfy me, right? It, in fact, it's probably going to start causing me anxiety because I need to, to work harder to get to the next level or I may have to work more. Again, when we get this out of perspective and we take this apart from God approach to that, that's what we see, right? We, we probably know people in our circles, unbelievers that struggle with this. And if we're not careful, even as believers, we can get caught up into it. And so it's a warning for even us as well. Together, but he... All right, shifting gears again, verse 13. And I think Solomon has his thoughts together, but he's, he's just one thought triggers another as he's writing here. And so he, he jumps because that happens, right, in our conversations. Quite often, something catches our mind. And again, when they were pulling this together, it may not have been all sorted out, but he's jumping around a little bit here, but he still talks about wealth in this even this section. He says, I've seen grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Or wealth lost through some misfortune. So that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. I kind of put off to the side bad investments, right? It's kind of what it's talking about here in some ways, right? And you that may have retirement plans or, or have invested in the market, sometimes those things go down, right? They very seldom continue to go up. At some point, if you stay in it long enough, the, the market ebbs and flows, right? Well, not that they had a market at this point, but things happen, right? I remember more than once, and we were early on in our marriage, we were struggling. It was amazing how long the truck ran and how long the washing machine held together, but somehow when we either got another job or a little bit more money, that's when they broke. And so God provided, and we thank him for that. But sometimes things happen at the inopportune time, right? Sometimes it doesn't seem to line up well, and we're like, Lord, why is this happening now? And through no fault of anyone's, it just seems to happen. Well, it's the same thing here. Sometimes you can have money, but you can lose Right? You can lose even though it's not your fault, whether it's inflation or market downturn, things happen. And so Solomon's talking about this here. And you may have plans to pass on to your children. That may be the goal, but when you get there, there's nothing left. Right? And through no fault of bad investing or saving up, but life took a different turn. Verse 15 has been quoted many times. It says, everyone comes into, the, well, I wanted to say, comes into this world naked and leaves naked. That's uh, the shortened version. But here's uh, the actual scripture. It says, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. As everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Now, the old joke, right? There's no U-Hauls behind hearse, right? There's no tag on, no trailer with all the goods that they take with them to the grave. We come into this world and we leave the same way. Verse 16, this too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what do they do that they gain since they toil for the wind? Back to that meaningless. All their days they eat in darkness, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. 
kind of a bleak picture, right? Again, if our, our purpose is only to work for the end, then we may be disappointed, right? And again, talking about investments, if we do all that and we get to the end and there's nothing there or it gets taken from us, that's going to be frustrating, right? Affliction with anger. What's the outcome of that? It may not be the right goal. Most likely it's not the purpose God has for us. Verse 18. Solomon again talking here to us, but also to, I think talking to himself. He says, this is what I've observed to be good. That is appropriate for a person to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in the toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Right? Paul talks a little bit about this in his letter, right? About being content, being content in your circumstances. I think Solomon's on to something here. He's like, he's seeing like, oh, wait a minute, but there is a place for it. There's a balance for that, right? Yes, we used to teach our kids on how to manage money. And again, that's a, the topic here this morning. But taking some of that money and using it for your life now is not a bad thing. It's all right. There's contentment in that. Also finding contentment in where you've been placed at this point in time. He said, Paul talks about that as well. Again, hard times, good times, plentiful times, but being content, not rushing through life. As I'm getting older, I'm realizing how short life short, and seems to be speeding up at times, right? But right, life is relatively short, and when we spread that out over eternity, we're really a small portion. We're really just here for a brief, brief time, not without importance. But we are here very briefly. Verse 19, it says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. Kind of brings it back around and, and brightens that picture a little bit, right? If you can get your mindset around that and get your heart into that position where I can be content and I can enjoy where I'm at without having to worry about where I'm going to get the next paycheck or the next promotion or the next achievement, right? That drive, that doesn't satisfy. And so, again, he says this is a gift from God, right? To find that contentment resting in him in that. There's more I could say about that, but again, keeping with the, the theme here, again, every once in a while, Solomon reminds us, and that's why I always do the reminder at the beginning, right, apart from God, it's all meaningless, but with God, it's very important. It's part of his plan. It's part of his plan for you. Verse 20, as we wrap up this morning, chapter 5, it says, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Again, he's talking about that gift of finding that contentment, right? being at that place, finding peace. Right? Again, it's good to reflect back, but don't get stuck there. Right? Always... It's always that, that hard thing. It's good to reflect back because you want to learn and you certainly need that, but then don't let it hang you up that you don't go forward, right? 
It's that tension. It's good to reflect, but it's also good to look forward to what's next. And he's not saying just sit and use up all your money and don't go to work tomorrow. That's not what God's saying here in his word. Some of you are like, oh, man, I thought I was going to get out. Tomorrow's a vacation day. No, that's not what he's saying. But finding contentment is what he is saying. Finding peace in that wherever you're placed. That's what's important. So, another chapter. Another chapter that has meaning, right? As believer in Christ, we have meaning. In fact, one of the things we're going to celebrate in a few minutes is communion. And again, that meaning that meant so much that Christ sent his son, God sent his son here for us to die on our behalf, right? To take us from that, to give us meaning, to give us purpose. But looking at this chapter, part of this as well, it talks about being careful, right? Being careful of our vows, being careful of our commitments. And so I want to remind you of that. Also be careful about the, the value we put on money or the value we put on investments, right? And lastly here, we've talked about being content where God placed you, where God has you, and where God wants to take you. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, that does have meaning for our lives today. Lord, help us to be committed to the things that you want us to commit to, Lord. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Lord, help us to not lose sight of you in our day-to-day, in our jobs, in our places that we work, Lord, that, Lord, it does have meaning if we do it for you. And Lord, help us to be content where you've placed us and where you have us today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone let the kids know or let that we're shifting over to communion. I've asked a couple of elders to come forward this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, our communion table is open. And by open, I mean it's open to all believers. Uh, it's not a members only or just a point way only, but our communion table is open for all those who believe. But we also take it very seriously here at Point Way. And so with that, we read the cautions that Paul had laid out in Corinthians, and we apply that here as well. And the, the caution that comes, it says, whoever eats of the bread or drinks in the cup in the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says, everyone should examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And what we like to do here at Point Way is just right where you're sitting, just close your eyes, bow your head. It's really just between you and the Lord. Just take a few moments and we'll just give you some time to sort that out and to see if you're in the right place and you recognize what Christ's done for you, that it doesn't become a ritual or an action but that you're in the right heart and the right spirit. So bow with me, please.
going to ask Rick if he'll give thanks for the cup that we are about to receive and for what it symbolizes and what it stands for. taking it with us together and take the bread first. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread of me. Thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He goes on to say, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
do this. And whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and close us in song and in prayer. And we also like to take the time to remind you that there are still cups left. There are still seats empty. And use that as a reminder this week that there are many out there that do not know Jesus. They do not know what takes place on Sunday, do not know the sacrifice that was made on their behalf. And so use that to spur us on to share the good news. As PJ mentioned earlier, we have a responsibility and we have an opportunity to do that even in our own community and in our own setting. So use that this week.